So we, uh, we begin a new series this morning, which we're really excited about. This is a series that's going to follow us all the way through the rest of the summer. Uh, it's called Permission to Speak, and we're going to be digging into the book of Psalms, probably the most popular book in the Bible, the one of the books that so many people are, know about. They may not know a whole lot about the Bible, but they maybe have heard about the book of, of Psalms. And Psalms is so important for so many reasons. For centuries, one of the unique things that the book of Psalms has brought to the church and even before that, is, is a language, words uh, to use to actually connect with God, uh, to give people actually permission to speak to God, permission to pray to God boldly by using the words from the book of Psalms, uh, language to talk about, about fear and about pain, about confusion and, and, and anger and, and, and enemies and guilt and the need for, for help and for guidance, um, as well as uh, how to express our joy and our gratitude and our hope and our faith. And, that, and that's a lot, but it's actually found in the book of Psalms. So when we think about approaching God, when we think about prayer, we recognize that for many of us, prayer is kind of a hard thing. It's kind of a confusing thing. Sometimes it's something that's, that's uh, filled with some guilt and some shame and, and, and some misconceptions. So we want to we break through some of those things by coming to the book of Psalms and by learning from those who wrote these words uh, how we can approach God, how we can feel that permission to speak to God. And actually, one of the amazing things is that Jesus himself prayed the Psalms. Jesus himself actually quoted the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. So that seems to be a significant thing. And, and we actually believe that the Psalms um, were deeply embedded in Jesus' heart and his soul and in his mind. So we're praying for the same thing for all of us this summer, that through this series that, that the Psalms can be embedded more deeply in our heart, in our souls, in our minds, that we can be encouraged and we can learn from it. So I'm really excited that kicking off this series this morning is uh, Carla Chestnut. Carla, why don't you come on up? Carla has been on staff here at Orchard for six, seven years, um, involved in our as a leader in our student ministry program during that whole time. Um, she's, uh, she's a great teacher, oftentimes not up here though. I think we counted maybe three times so. in the last few years that mm-hmm. you've been up here in, we call it the big room. Uh, so although Lang Hall is kind of a big room too over at you and I, so she'll tell you a little bit more about what she's been doing. But the thing about Carla that I appreciate, she's my neighbor. She and Sean live right next door to us and are good friends. Thank you, Doug. No awkward Christian side hug there. That's nice. (laughs) Sorry. All right. Good morning. It's a little odd for me to uh, say good morning before I begin teaching. I usually am greeting a room full of college-age people at 8 p.m. on Thursday night in Lang Hall on the UNI campus, like Doug said. Um, That's where we have BASIC each week. BASIC is our college-age worship community, and we exist to unite people by helping them join in the work that Jesus is doing in their life and in the lives of others, and everyone is welcome. So if you ever find yourself without anything to do on Thursday night at 8 p.m. when school is in session, you are welcome to join us at BASIC. Okay. 
So I'm really excited to be here this morning. For those of you who don't know me very well, I've attended Orchard Hill Church for about 24 years. My mom invited me for the first time, and it was in the old, old sanctuary down at the other end of the church. I think the plastic was up on the new sanctuary, and I think we got to peek in at the end of the service. So I've been around here for a while. Uh, My husband, Sean, and I were married here by Pastor Ed in 1992. Uh, We have six children and two grandchildren. Um, I'm just going to tell you a few things about me specifically. I like to learn. I love to be a part of first experiences that people have. Like if I get a chance to travel outside of Iowa with someone that I've been able to, I've been able to do this a couple times, that somebody that's like never been outside of Iowa and I get to go with them, that's really exciting for me. If I get to take someone skiing or kayaking or, um, hiking or something like that for the first time, I feel fully alive. It's one of the things, how I'm made up. Um, I love being near water, and I'm, in, I'm the happiest when all of my people are together, preferably by the water. So that's a little bit about me. Um, Orchard Hill has been a place where we, my husband and I, and our family have found lifelong friends, friends who've walked with us through some really hard stuff and some really joyous stuff. And over the years, Sean and I have been watching many of you very, very closely. We watch how you parent. uh, We watch how you work hard to have healthy marriages. And we're learning from you, and we're really grateful for that. So it's really an honor for me to stand up here this morning and kick off the Psalm series. So let's do it. This morning we're going to look at Psalm 139. And when I learned um, that the teaching team wanted to focus the Psalm series around this idea of permission to speak, I really liked Psalm 139 because it's simply David wondering over this idea that God knows us completely. He just knows us completely. And I'm really interested in the honest, unreserved, fearless response that David makes in light of this truth that God knows us. So I'm just going to read the first 12 verses because this is a really, really long psalm and I know it's hard to pay attention. But I think we need to get a chunk of it to just appreciate the poetry of this psalm. So I'm going to read the first 12 verses. You can follow along in your Bible. You can follow along um, on the screen or you can close your eyes and just listen to the words. So this is David's psalm, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I think that's beautiful, beautiful words, heartfelt words. And I think it's amazing that we can relate to these words in a really powerful way, even though David lived 2,000 plus years ago. 
It's amazing. I love David's sense of wonder when he realizes that God, God knows his thoughts. He knows what he's going to say before he says it. I love his realization that there's nowhere he can go. There's nowhere he can go that's beyond the reach and knowledge of God. And it's, I think it's made even more powerful by the video we watched earlier. You know, just this truth that this is true for us in a free country, but it's also true for all of the Christ followers and all of the people who don't know Christ all around the world. God knows us all. So let's pick this apart a little bit. Uh, let's just start with this very simple, profound truth that God knows us. David says it really beautifully. He says, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. I think it's important to establish right off the bat that God is never confused, unsure, surprised, or caught off guard by us. He just never is. That's not who he is. I like the way Jesus reveals that David actually has a pretty good understanding of this principle. When he um, is speaking in Matthew 10:29, David's speaking to his disciples here, and he says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So sparrows, a bird, sold for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. God knows us. He knows us intimately. And I think Jesus wants us to understand, and Doug talked about this last week, that God knows us in an intimate way and we're very valuable to him. And I think some of us understand this as good theology. We're like, yeah, God knows everything. God knows everything. He knows us. But I think when we understand it just as good theology, we miss the mind-blowing implications of a God who knows us and interacts intimately with us and the world and everyone in it. He knows us so intimately that he knows the hairs on our head. And, I mean, the difficulty of that varies from person to person, right? I mean, it's a little harder to know how many hairs are on my head, but I don't know where Doug went. It's not as hard for Doug. But God knows us. So the first time I learned that God knew me, I was in eighth grade. And my best friend, my very best friend, had moved to California. And I was absolutely devastated. We had spent every minute of every day that we possibly could together. We got ready for dances together. We went shopping at the mall and ate french fries at Woolworth together. We we just did everything together. Sleepovers, uh, Anything a teenage girl could do, we did it together. I can't imagine what it would have been like if like, we'd had access to Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. It would have been ridiculous. But when she moved away, I was just heartbroken. You know how eighth grade girls can be heartbroken? That is how heartbroken I was. And I was standing in the middle of my kitchen one day, and I was just really sad and really alone. And this thought came into my mind. I wonder if Tiny Tots is still a number you can call. And I walked over to the drawer right below my yellow rotary dial phone with the handset, and I pulled out the phone book. And if anybody's confused and doesn't know what I'm talking about, you can talk to me after the service. But I pulled out the phone book, and there it was, Tiny Tots. The number was still in the phone book. I had learned about Tiny Tots when I was in third grade, the one time I got invited to Vacation Bible School by a friend of mine. They told us about Tiny Tots, 
I called it, I think, a couple times in third grade. I was now in eighth grade. I had never thought about tiny talks. I'd never been back to vacation Bible school. How did that thought get into my mind? But I called the number, and the recorded Bible verse for the day was the last meeting, the very last meeting between two best friends, Jonathan and David, the same David who wrote this psalm. And David was running away from Jonathan's father, King Saul, who was trying to kill him. That's the verse that was on Tiny Tots that day when I was devastated because my best friend had moved away. This is how the verse actually reads. It's in 1 Samuel 20, 42. It says, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. That's crazy. When I heard the words, we have a sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, it was like a bolt of electricity went through me. God knew I missed my best friend. And I'll tell you, as an eighth grader, I honestly didn't even really know what to make of this. I was on one hand like, wow, that is crazy. I knew God was real, but he's really real. And on the other hand, I was kind of freaked out by it. You know, it wasn't until later as a grown-up that I was so grateful that God had arranged for his word to be given to me when I needed it through the work of some faithful grown-ups, right? That paid for a phone line for how many years did this go on? And who every day recorded a Bible verse so that people could know God and know that he loves them. So that's who God is. That day I learned that God knew me, what was going on in my life. He knew that a junior high girl was hurting over the loss of a friend. Can you think back to moments in your life where you experienced a tangible or unmistakable way that this truth came to you, that God knows you? Can you think of one? I don't want you to worry if you haven't experienced a moment like this, because the cool thing is he still knows you. Remember, you have permission to ask him, or maybe it's been a really, really long time since you've really heard from God that he knows you and you need a reminder. You have permission to ask him for a reminder. Or maybe you aren't sure who God is or if he has any power at all. And you have permission to ask God, are you real? Are you real, God? Do you know me? We have permission to ask God. Then we have to pay attention because he's going to show up in a lot of different ways. Nobody's probably going to call tiny talks when they leave here today. You know, God works in more ways than we can ever imagine. So we have to pay attention. Now, you might be thinking that knowing the number of hairs on a person's head is pretty good, but it's probably some mathematical formula. I don't know what kind of mind you have. Maybe you're asking, does he really know me? Like the true me, the inside me. And I think that's a really good question. And we have permission to ask that. So I want you to pay attention to what happens in the heart and mind of David when he discovers this truth that God knows him completely from the inside out. He writes this. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from as far. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. And I think we can read these words and think of them as geographical locations. But I think when we think about the depths, we understand what the depths are. When we think about being far away, you don't have to change location to be far away. So I want to stop and and think a little bit about what David's talking about when he says, God, you know my ways. We all have certain ways about us. Billy Joel wrote a song about it. We talk about how people are wired up, what makes people tick, what kinds of activities or environments like either brings them energy or drains them. Around Orchard, we talk about strength finders and strengths finder, spiritual gift surveys, uh, inventories you fill out where you find out if you're intuitive or sensing, introvert or extrovert. Um, and if you spend any time on Facebook, nowadays you know there are those BuzzFeed surveys, you know, that you can take in 45 minutes, 45 seconds, and find out, like, what state you are, what Disney character you are, and what, uh, like, what decade of the 20th century you're best suited for. So I am, like, Pocahontas, Idaho, 1970s. Don't even pretend like you don't take them, because I know you do. (laughs) So these surveys and inventories, right, are keying in on this idea that we all have a unique set of ways. And a lot of our ways are kind of silly idiosyncrasies, you know, that really don't matter that much. Like, how do you get the toothpaste out of the tube? Or how do you organize your closet or your sock drawer? Or whether you're like Coke or Pepsi, you know, kind of silly things. And if you're saying in your mind, those aren't silly things, like it really matters how you get the toothpaste out of the tube, or it really matters how you organize your socks, that might be an indication that this is one of your ways. So, we all have other ways, right, about us that that run really deep, deep inside of like who we are, and they intertwine, like Doug was saying, with our heart, mind, and soul. Things like how we react to adversity, the way we deal with stress, what kind of things worry us, what kind of, um, kind of like that way you see the world and how you see your purpose in the world. How you understand your ways is really important because out of your ways, you actually live your life, right? Um, it's dangerous not to be in touch with your ways. John Ortberg says it like this. He says, the truth about you is you don't know the truth about you. Let me say that again. The truth about you is you don't know the truth about you. The reality is that most of the time, everyone else in the room or in our family knows a lot better than we do the truth about us, about some of our ways. We're often blind to our ways, especially the ways that keep us from living like Jesus. The truth about you is that you don't know the truth about you. So my family calls me an emotional robot. Lovingly, they call me an emotional robot. Uh, Sean is the crier in our family. If you are standing by Sean in a church service and there's a powerful worship song on, he probably will have a tear or two in his eye. That's just who he is. Um, But one day, Ellie, my 21-year-old, said to me, you know, Mom, you and I are kind of emotionally unavailable. We don't really talk about feelings that much. And she quickly said, it's good. I like it that way. Uh, She said, we don't really talk about feelings that much. She said, I don't feel comfortable getting all emotional about things. She was shining a light on one of my ways. 
Remember, the truth about you is that you don't know the truth about you, and our kids are often really good at pointing out the truth about our ways. They know us, they're watching us closely, and they're learning. Um, Ellie also had a favorite t-shirt when she was about eight or nine years old. It said, I have issues, which was really funny for an eight or nine-year-old. It wouldn't be quite as funny on someone my age, but uh, it's still true, right? So just a little more self-disclosure here. Uh, I also recently learned that I have control issues. A friend of mine who may or may not be teaching at the other end of the building casually mentioned in passing something like, well, we both have control issues, so of course that bothers us. And I was like, well, you might have control issues, but I'm pretty sure I don't have control issues. And I thought I was kind of immune from control issues because I have this very adaptive personality and I'm really unstructured. So I thought, well, adaptive, unstructured people don't have control issues, surely. But it's not true. My family and I live on the river. We love living on the river. But when you live on the river, you have to deal with flooding. It's just a reality of life. And we think it's worth dealing with flooding. But come to find out, both Sean and I have control issues around flooding. Sean wants to control things and events. He thinks if he can just gather up enough pumps and sandbags, and if he can have enough diversion, he can hold back the river. And sometimes he does. It's pretty amazing. Until the river gets to a certain height, and then the river always wins. Now, I don't want to control the river. I know the river's going to do what the river's going to do. My control issues are a little different. I want to control the response the emotional response my family has to flooding. So I want everyone to, like, all of a sudden, when the river's going to rise, I want them to get into party mode and be excited about it and kind of have a party as we get ready for the river to flood. And um, I want them to enthusiastically and joyfully help me put the, or help Sean put the treadmill up on blocks. And if they know how to whistle, I would like it if they would whistle while they're doing it. And... Uh, I would like them to really embrace the pioneer spirit of washing the dishes in the wash tub on the deck, and I would like them to just really be happy that the river's flooding. I just don't think it makes sense to be angry or frustrated with the river. It just doesn't make any sense to me. The river's going to do what the river's going to do. But the trouble with trying to dictate or control someone's emotional response is that, A, it doesn't work, And B, it's just seriously disrespectful, right, to try and tell people how to feel. It teaches people that it isn't okay to feel a certain way. It teaches people to hide their emotions from you. It communicates that my feelings of joy and happiness about the river flooding are the only right feelings, which probably indicates another one of my ways that I think my way is the best way. So what about you? Do you have some issues that point to your ways? How well do you know the truth about you? Did anyone experience any little tiny control issues on the way to church this morning? Has anyone ever sat in a van full of kids and then when you're about a block away from Orchard, you're like, okay, everybody, smile. Pretend like we're normal. We're almost to church. <laughs> but maybe for you it isn't control. Maybe it's something else, right? Like struggling. Like maybe you struggle with just letting go of stuff. Um, not holding a grudge. Maybe your way involves anger, blame, resentment, even violence. For many, their way is worry, right? Worry about what people think. Worry about what's going to happen in the future. Worry about disappointing people. For some, it's just their way is to work really, really hard to please people. 
For others, it's preoccupation with success, position, power. Whatever your way is, if you are brave enough to believe that the truth about you is you don't know the truth about you, you have permission to go to Jesus and ask, will you show me? Will you show me the truth about who I am? And he will tell you. He will tell you things like you are loved and you are valuable and you're broken and you need me not only for your salvation for eternity, but you need me every day. You need me every day to show you the truth about you because that's how he made us. Jesus says it like this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then in that same spirit that Doug was talking about freedom earlier, Paul teaches us this. He says, in him, he's talking about Jesus, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. It's the permission we have to approach the creator and sustainer, the redeemer and restorer of the universe in freedom and confidence. It blows your mind when you think about it. So in closing, Jesus is this ultimate inviter and blesser and permission giver. He invites us to bring our weary, burdened selves to him and find rest. If you've been around the church very long, you've heard this statement, something like this, bring everything to the cross and leave it there at the feet of Jesus, right? It doesn't go far enough sometimes, I don't think, because what, what we have to know is that Jesus just takes it from the foot of the cross and chucks it behind the cross. But that's re- I think that's the hardest, one of the hardest things for us to, to really understand, that we can bring everything to the foot of Jesus. And he takes it from us, chucks it behind the cross, and then we're just free to communicate with him. But if you're like me, a lot of days I'm in a hurry and I just want to step before Jesus because I know it's what I need to do and I want to say a prayer and I leave a whole pile of stuff behind me. Or another day I come and I take a step before Jesus and I have this whole pile of stuff in front of me. You know, my burdens, my weariness, my tiredness, my worn outness, my discouragement, my disappointment. And I just let it, I just let it sit there between Jesus and I. And The thing I want to leave you with is this. Jesus never, ever, ever puts a barrier between him and you. Never. If you come before Jesus and you sense a barrier of any kind, you put it there. He didn't. So we have permission to approach Jesus and to allow him to remove all the barriers And we get to just know him and talk with him and pour our guts out to him and not edit ourselves so that, so that we might know ourselves better and we can get on with the work he has for us to do. So that's really good news. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so much bigger and more powerful. You encompass so much more of our lives than we ever can imagine. Would you help us to know deep within us that you know us, you love us, and you're just waiting for us to step forward and allow you to sweep away everything that we set at your feet. And you don't just say you'll do it for us one time, although one time is sufficient. You say you'll do it for us every single day, that we can approach you with freedom and confidence and the knowledge that you will look at us and we'll be able to bear the fact 
that you know us completely from the inside out, whether we're far away, whether we're in the depths, whether we're on the mountaintop. And God, help us to understand that the reason you want us to know that is because you want us to join in your work. Just help us to understand that, that there are people all around the world who you know the same as us and who you are inviting into the very same journey that we have to join with you in restoring, redeeming, and renewing the world. In Jesus' name, amen.